0: Welcome to Teachers Care Society, the podcast that talks about on-use and development in the educational field. We have a good show for you today as I'm joined by Samantha Daly, a kindergarten, first grade, self-contained classroom teacher, as we'll be talking about setting up classroom rules. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Welcome back. Today's guest is Samantha Daly, a special education teacher from New Jersey. So I must admit, it seems like you've done it all. You originally started working as a paraprofessional while going through grad school. Congratulations, by the way. Then you worked at a private school for special needs students with a big age range from three years old to 21. After that, you transitioned to working at a public school, working from grades two to five, then inclusion classroom, switching to behavior disorder classroom, and finally, Finally, an LLD classroom. So for those who don't know, LLD classrooms, or language and learning disability classrooms, all self-contained small group classes for students with all sorts of disabilities. Um, did I get that right?
1: Yes. So all of that is correct. Thank you for having me today.
0: Yes. Yes. And um, well, Chris, we got to start off. First of all, how are you doing? How, is, how are you doing during this pandemic?
1: Good. So, my school just made the transition to in-person learning. So, that's been a really huge relief um, because I have special education students. They're in with me five days a week, so we don't have to follow the hybrid model that my school is doing. So, it's definitely
0: been, um, a great transition. Okay. That's, that's nice. The, as far as transitions, like you transitioned from being a professional to a special education teacher. Did you know, like, this was the route you wanted to do was like being a professional, like professional, kind of like testing the water into the fields of special education.
1: Um. Yes. Yeah, so, actually, my journey to becoming a teacher is not really your typical one. Um, I actually completed my undergraduate degree at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City. Um, and really, after completing uh, some of my internships, um, I worked for some really good companies and I just... It wasn't really making me happy. So. Uh, towards the end of my senior year, uh, I decided that I needed to just finish that degree. And then I knew that I wanted to move on and, uh, do something that I would, I could see myself doing for the rest of my life. So, um, actually my mom has been a teacher and I knew how much she had loved her job. So it was definitely something that I could see myself doing. Um, so i uh, after undergraduate i applied for graduate school as a teacher and i took a job as a paraprofessional um and during that time um i was taking night classes i worked full time in the school and i really think that it was one of the best decisions that i made um it really helped me gain so much experience and um I was really able to walk away with so much knowledge uh, being a paraprofessional and then being able to translate that into my career as a teacher.
0: So, there's a lot of stigma about what paraprofessionals do and their importance. Like, they often don't get enough praise for what they do. I mean, I view my paraprofessionals as an extension of me, and like both in the classroom, like even through, through distance learning. And the best thing I can do for a professional is like utilize them effectively, not just having them do like simple, like busy work. Um, I know this could be quite difficult during distance learning, but I found ways of doing this. I just I shared all my resources, um, you know, all the links and my login info, it's all the curriculum stuff that I use. And I also taught them new skills and certain strategies to use especially through distance learning and even the classroom. And I can find how to track data, behavior management and transition, praising, reinforcement, essentially just not only supporting me, but also this supporting students as well. And I've seen some examples where some paraprofessionals aren't utilized to the best of their ability. Uh, one of those examples, like literally, the paraprofessional would just repeat everything I said. You know, just kind of, you know, like like a parent, just repeat everything I said. Or I had another professional, paraprofessional, when I was in class, just every now and then at the back of the classroom saying, "Make right choices, kids." Um, so I don't know. How how was, how was your experience as a paraprofessional?
1: Um, yeah. So I really thought that I had a great experience as a paraprofessional. Um, I was really able to work in so many different settings, as you had mentioned earlier. Um, and I really knew that I wanted to you know help out as much as I could, and I had really willing teachers that were um, willing to help me learn how I could help out and um, you know, a big part of my job working with children with behavior disorders was collecting data on um, any of their behaviors. So I really think that having these experiences uh, helped me get a job so quickly out of graduate school, um, because you really are getting that firsthand experience um, working with the students and being in a classroom every day. Um, You know, I know a lot of my friends had been subbing during graduate school, and I just don't think that it equates to the experience that you get as a paraprofessional. And I think I really lucked out having great uh, classroom teachers that were willing to let us step in and, and take some load off of, off of their hands. Um, so I do think that they deserve a lot of praise. I wouldn't be able to, I don't think my classroom would function as well as it does <laughs> without my paraprofessionals. Um, they really, you know, I think having that experience as a paraprofessional makes me appreciate them so much more. Um, so I, I think that, um, They help my classroom run smoothly every day and they really
0: are the best. Yeah. So, yeah, professionals are the best only if you utilize them, you know, effectively. But let's jump into our first Mm -hmm. topic and classroom rules. So where to start? Let's see. I had teachers where they say, you know, it's my way or the highway and just these crazy, insane micromanaging rules, basically like a hop over my shoulder, I mean, for you growing up, how was your experience with rules? I mean, were you a, a rule breaker growing up?
1: So it's pretty funny because whenever my parents describe me um, when I was little, the first thing that they always tell people is that I was such a rule follower. Um, so it's kind of funny to now be working with students that are just the complete opposite and, um, <laughs> you know, really have a tough time following rules. So, you know, when I was a kid, I never wanted to get in trouble. And I mean, that's just me, you know, until, until this day, I just, you know, I ask a million questions just to make sure that I'm following all the rules, um, But, um, you know, even myself growing up um, and being somebody that liked to follow rules, having a teacher that would really micromanage or have very strict rules in the classroom without any explanation or collaboration on those rules, in many situations, I found myself not wanting to follow those rules. So, you know, I really take that experience away and uh, try my best to um, make sure that my classroom is in that kind of environment for my students.
0: (laughs) So my favorite joke, Growing up, back when I was in middle school, we had this poor fella, a long-term substitute, and you could tell that he didn't have a lot of experience with classroom rules and classroom management. And so he had this list of very confusing rules that they would contradict each other. And well, for, I'm from Los Angeles, so there's always a joke about street parking rules and how confusing they can be. Some crazy things like no parking Monday through Friday, except between 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. on the second and fourth Wednesday, and then there'll be an arrow pointing the exact opposite way. So this just imagine that with the substitute having these really ridiculous long rules and all these clauses, and it was just very confusing. And of course, people would get in trouble because they broke the rules, and it just wasn't clear. Have you ever had any experience and either growing up, or you know, maybe another, uh, maybe uh, another teacher that you know having these odd rules.
1: Yeah. So I've been trying to think about this question, and I, there's not like one specific uh, teacher that really sticks out in my mind um, where I've had this experience before. But I do definitely remember having some teachers in, at like the high school level that were just very controlling, and you know, I remember being a student and just dreading going to their classroom in fear of. Um, you know, getting in trouble for breaking a rule and, um, you know, being called out for it in front of the classroom. Um, So, you know, for me, again, that was one big takeaway when implementing rules in my classroom. I never wanted my students to feel like that. I never wanted them to feel overwhelmed by the rules. And um, I didn't ever want it to really feel like a dictatorship for my students. You know, I wanted them as part of that uh, collaboration
0: for our rules. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a good point about making rules. It's, you know, it's not all about me, me, me. We also want student input. Um, of course, that depends on how well you know your students, how, how well you trust them. And as far as like the rule number, there's no magic number. I would usually have like no more than five. Otherwise, it just becomes way too many to memorize. And, you know, especially when you're dealing with the younger ones, this is too much for them. And so, for example, I teach at a special day class and I only have five rules and, you know, they're, you know, quiet mouth, sitting down, listening ears, watching eyes and comments, it's like very simple. Is there a limit to how many rules you have in the classroom?
1: Yeah. So I completely agree. Um, I like to have, I stick with like about three rules, but um, under those rules, there's a lot that can really fall under each of those rules. Um, and again, I like your point about having to know your students. So having children with behavior disorders in my classroom, it's also important to find that balance where you're not giving over too much control to the students in the beginning. Um, but I still believe that no matter what, um, it should be a collaborative process regarding uh, who your students are um, and whatever challenges they may have. so in my classroom I stick to three rules and they're very broad rules but um, it makes them easier for my students to remember.
0: That's good so even when it comes to you know you have your rules and you want students to follow them and memorize them, you know, I see teachers trying to stick to a theme or even an acronym to make them easier to memorize. I've seen teachers even you know, sing those songs, you know, sing the rules out. Uh, I know you said you have the three B's. I've heard other teachers have like slant, which is, I think, mean, sit up, listen, attention, nod, and, and talk. Uh, I know teachers, you know, they always try and incorporate something that says, you know, and most importantly, have fun and learn. I know it's very cliche, but it's also important Like you want the kids to know that these rules are for them to, to learn best. It's for their safety and we're not making these rules to control them. For you, like, what are some fun ways to get kids to memorize the rules?
1: Yeah, so um, I do use the three B's in my classroom. So that's be responsible, be respectful, and be safe. Um, so I start with a collaborative discussion, and I really just start out with asking students why they think we come to school. So I really don't even bring up the topic of rules yet because I want. To begin talking about why we come to school. So uh, generally, it leads to the discussion of we come to school to learn, to have fun, to feel safe. Um, and I want my students to make those connections before I bring up rules. Uh, this year, I had students act out different ways and, or different scenarios um, in the classroom. And then we would take a class vote to see if each scenario would fall under our rules. Um, and I just like to make it engaging and have my students actively participating. So, um, you know, it, it gives my students a chance to be silly and maybe, uh, come up in front of the classroom if they wanted to, to show us. It's almost like a game of charades. So, you know, we would all discuss and say, hmm, is, uh, Evan following the rules right now? And, you know, it, I think it definitely makes it, uh, fun for the students and it, it has them actively participating in, discussing if our rules are being followed or
0: not. (laughs) That's funny. I even have professors at university level for grad school do something similar like that, where we act out like, all right, you know, is this, you know, following the rules or this not following rules? But Mm -hmm. for me, introducing rules, it's day one. First thing right after introductions, explaining who I am and going over who they are. We go over the rules and I have to model as many times as we can, like something similar to how you have them go through the scenarios. And just having them provide them many opportunities to follow the rules. It's just all about practice, practice, practice. How do you get students to practice and follow the rules in addition to like playing out the scenarios you have?
1: Right. So my classroom can range from kindergarten, first to second grade. So having these primary grades, it's all about modeling, practicing and repetition, just like you were saying. Um, I like to do a lot with social stories as well. Uh, we spend a lot of time practicing and going through our routines. And if I notice that my students have, um, you know, we have a specific situation in the classroom, uh, I'll bring in a social story so students can see it from another uh, perspective and make a text-to-world connection. Um, And then we discuss what happened and ask ourselves how we could do better next time. So we reflect on the behavior and come up with solutions. Um, And then this year I started something called Daily Dollars. So this system has students reflecting on their own behavior after each period and really recognizing if their behaviors deserve a dollar to put into (laughs) their piggy bank. (laughs) And of course, this is a fake dollar. But at the end of the week, they add up all of their dollars and they can go shopping in the classroom store. And this allows each of my students to really take accountability for their actions. And I think it also helps to implement a real world real world scenario into the classroom. So students are making those connections to math and how it's used in the real world. And so far, this has uh, been a huge motivator for my students and they really have enjoyed it.
0: Oh, that's really cute. I like that as a I'm sure it's a little bit of fun having a currency named after yourself. <laughs> <laughs> So if we go back to the rulemaking, I know it's supposed to be a collaborative process and we want students to have that buy-in and feel that sense of community right there. And we want students to take ownership in the classroom rules because this is their classroom as well. What is the collaboration process for you?
1: Yeah, so I kind of touched on it um, a little bit earlier. So I really start out by asking students why they think some rules um, – or why, like, I like to actually really start out by asking them why they think we come to school. Um, and then I like to ask them why they think or what rules they think that we should have in our classroom. And more often than not, they fall under one of the categories of the three B's. So I introduce the uh, three B's topic, and then we just categorize them under each one. So is uh, raising your hand being safe? Is it being respectful? Or is it being responsible? So I think it's fun for them to see their ideas become really just our uh, foundation of the classroom. And uh, this year, I had them color in pictures that represented some of the rules that we discussed and added them to our classroom rules poster. And I think having this visual representation also helps them uh, to remember and it shows um, their collaboration as well on the goals.
0: Okay, so I've had situations where students come up with some silly rules or silly comment and I use this as a great teaching moment to redirect this comment and essentially come up with a new rule on what the appropriate behavior should be. And you know, if the student says an outrageous comment or just disrupts the class, then I ask the rest of the class, like, you know, do we do this or is this appropriate behavior? And then we come up with a rule based on what we should do instead of what we shouldn't do. And the way it works out, this one student who you know makes a silly comment and they get a break or a warning and then we move on. I, I don't want to put you know, a lot of spotlight on this kid as well. So just redirect, tell the class, hey, this is not what we do. This is what we should do and move on. How do you have you how have you dealt with like inappropriate rules or comments like that?
1: Yeah, so this is something that happens uh, every day in my classroom. (laughs) Um, Having students that have behavior disorders, um, a lot of times they're just very impulsive with what they say, and most of the time they don't, they can't really control their actions, or um, you know, they don't put much thought into what they're saying. It just kind of comes out of their mouth. So um, I think that. For me, it's really important to understand uh, the function of that behavior. So, is my student doing it because they're seeking that attention uh, from the class? So, what is their goal in uh, making these comments? And more often than not, it is because they want that attention, whether it's negative or positive. Um, So, I really just have specific ways that I'm supposed to manage uh, inappropriate comments or behavior. because my students are special ed and they have behavior disorders, um, that really is addressed in their IEPs. So, um, for example, uh, certain students, I'm supposed to really just ignore those comments, um, you know, unless, as you said, it is uh, something that really can't be ignored. Um, I do like to have that discussion more so one on one with that student um you know so address it away from the rest of the class because you know uh in the end essentially if you address it in front of the class you are just giving them that attention that they wanted whether it's negative um or positive attention they still that was the end goal of making that comment um (laughs) so yeah i do i agree i try to ignore it and then if it is something that needs to be addressed i like to do that one-on-one with the student afterwards
0: okay so then the secret when it comes to making rules and you want to have that student you know, buy-in is to kind of guide the students towards a set of rules like you already have in mind that you want them to make and, you know, kind of approach it like a Socratic seminar where you're there as a moderator and we'll chime in if you know they get off topic or try to re- redirect the students Again, um, you want them to steer towards a set of rules that you think are essential. And this might revolve around like no bullying, being ready to learn, being responsible. You can be more specific if you want. Do you have a set of go-to rules in your classroom that you know you want for sure?
1: Um, yeah, so um, along with my uh, set classroom rules, my students also have specific uh, individual behavior plans. So. For me, I really try to keep my classroom rules as uh, as simple and as easy for them to remember um, because all day long they're being tracked for their specific behavior uh, goals and really what they're working towards individually. Um, so I do agree with you that I, you know, try to really preach to students that, you know, kindness is, you know, a number one goal for us in our classroom, uh, along with, set of rules that we're supposed to follow. Um, you know, I think building up our students' character is super important. Um, and just really reinforcing that concept that, you know, we treat others the way, um, you know, you want to be treated. Uh, so that golden rule is really important in our classroom. And we talk about that uh, daily, really, just to, uh, you know, keep it in the back of their minds and to hopefully um, influence some of that impulsive behavior and have them start to really think about their actions uh, before they before they make a uh, decision. <laughs>
0: So the important thing to keep in this conversation or just to consider is that these rules are meant to provide guidance on students on how to behave, like what's the expected behavior. Instead of telling them, you know, what not to do, you know, we tell them what to do. For example, instead of saying no yelling or hitting, we could say, you know, keep our hands to yourself or, you know, quiet mouth. Um, instead of saying no running in the halls, we could say, you know, we walk in the halls and we know that students respond better when they're being told like what to do as, as opposed to not told what not to do and I kind of always find it funny when a student is who's not following rules is telling another student to follow the rules I don't know if you've seen this before or even a student just might give a friendly reminder to another student about the rules like hey you know we're supposed to do this have you seen something like this before
1: yes yeah, so <laughs> I think it's such a fine line like as an educator because you're like yes like they're taking responsibility like I'm so happy but then when it's you know, the student that's not following the rules, it's so, <laughs> like, it's almost like, oh, like, what do I do? Um, but yeah, I think that as educators, that is our end goal is for students to really take that responsibility and to almost manage themselves and to manage each other. Um, but I do definitely see it a lot where it is the student that consistently is not following the rules and almost, you know, takes on that role of pointing out other students' flaws. Um so, yeah, that's that's kind of tough, um, but I guess, you know, as far as when students in the classroom uh, begin to monitor each other's behavior, um, and in a positive way, in a kind way, um, you know, it is great when you start to see them taking ownership for those, their actions, and for their peers' actions. Um so, I think that's definitely uh, really important and it makes me happy to see.
0: <laughs> so, back when I talked uh, Gen Ed, I had scenarios and situations where I would tell the kids, you know, turn to your neighbor and check if they have their desk cleared for recess. Uh, I've seen some situations where students respond better to listening to the rules from a peer as opposed to me. And last year I had a student who just wouldn't listen to me. And I tried, you know, every, everything, you know, nine nonverbal reminders with icons and praising other students who did follow the rules. And, you know, every teacher has that one stare where they would look at the student and they expect them to like, Hey, I'm watching you. And so basically like what happened is I really wanted to avoid the student, like miss out on recess or, you know, keep any kind of punishment because they weren't following the rules. And, I finally incorporated like this peer check system where I would have a peer sit next to a student, like my model student, sit next to the student who needed a little bit of redirection. And it worked quite well. So I had this girl who would remind her peer, you know, make sure you have calm, calm voice, make sure. You know, you have all this stuff right here, and she would offer her help, and he really responded well. Um, he didn't really listen to me that much, and he didn't really listen to the other students as well either. And he really responded well to this one student, this one girl, and it, I was quite surprised. Like she was really friend with him, but also in a caring way, kind of like that mother, motherly figure. And I was just quite surprised. And again, I only did this with permission from like what I'm called, like my model student. Um, Because, again, I didn't want to pair a student who might be disruptive next to another student and then have a situation where they're both not learning because... Because behavior might be too disruptive, and so I would reach out to this my model student in private, pull her aside, saying, "Hey, would you help out with this? I know it's a big responsibility. I would show the student a few strategies and you know, to help redirect the behavior. I had this checklist on the student's desk, and it's like, oh, if, you know, if he needs help with this, and remind him of this. If he needs help with this, remind him." of this and again I would let this model student know that this is totally optional and no pressure it's not her job to do this but that I I would appreciate this have you had something similar like this something like like your buddies before
1: so personally I have not had experience with this yet but um after hearing about it I really like the idea um So it's definitely something that I would love to try in my classroom. Um, You know, again, having this self-contained classroom, it might be a little bit challenging to implement, um, being that most of my students are uh, in the classroom themselves because of their challenging (laughs) behaviors. Um, But it definitely is, you know, I could definitely see it. modified for these students, and it could be a really good, uh, positive reinforcer. Um, you know, if you have that student who always views himself as, um, you know, having problem behaviors, this could be a really great way mm-hmm. to even um, build that confidence up a little bit for that student and really have them take ownership for their behaviors and their classmates' behaviors. Um, so I definitely would love to try this. I think it's a great idea.
0: Going back to the creating the rules together and telling students like what behavior we want them to do instead of what not to do. I also want the students to feel valued when they contribute their ideas. And I know that the students think like, the norm is like we go in the classroom and like, do whatever the teacher tells us, <laughs> like they make the rules for behaviors, schedule, content, how we learn, et cetera. And I want students to give input on what rules and behaviors help them learn best. You know, it's different for every student, it's different for every class, for every grade. And I ask the students what rules will give them the best and the safest learning environment. And this essentially is our first classroom collaboration on day one. We're all collaborating, we're all talking with each other. And this is rule number one. We're taking turns, listening to each other, raising hands, waiting. And having this immediate interactive learning moment from day one is a great way of showing students how to be accepting of their peers, how to be accepting of their collaboration style, their learning style. How do you, how's your collaboration process with your class?
1: Yeah, so um, from that primary grade perspective, modeling is so important for them. Um, So I really have to constantly reinforce appropriate behavior for listening to our peers and collaborating in a positive way. Um, and accepting others' differing opinions. So for me, I like to have a lot of anchor charts in the room showing pictures of appropriate behavior and actions during peer collaboration, um, bringing it back to our classroom rules. Um, I really, again, like to start out the conversation with why do we come to school so that my students can make that connection with, you know, we have these rules to make sure that, um, you know, I'm safe in school, to make sure that I um, am learning in school. So these rules are really set there to benefit them. Um, and then um, having them, I think having them reflect on their collaboration is important as well. So I really like to model um, in as many ways as I can. So having my students watch myself and one of my paraprofessionals collaborate on a discussion Then maybe maybe having them watch a video with students collaborating. And then I like to have them practice. And after they practice collaborating with each other, um, I like to have them reflect on their discussion and talk about what they did really well and what were some things that maybe they could work on next time. So again, bringing it back to allowing students to take ownership of their actions is really important. And I think it's an effective way to teach
0: that collaboration to students. That's great. Um, For me, I emphasize on day one that this is a safe space and we value everyone's voice and opinions, especially when you have maybe more timid students and I want to give them an opportunity to speak and collaborate at their own comfort level. So I start off an activity by having them discuss possible rules next to the partner next to them and then maybe the rest of the table and then eventually you know from that people to create a list and then finally to a whole class discussion you can see how it would be easier for a more timid student to share their ideas to just one person next to them as opposed to raising their hand in front of the whole class. Um, you can even have an activity where you have students share on post-it notes and create some sort of diagram or chart. And again, in this way, all the students participate and get their voice heard. How do you get all students to participate in, in a process like this?
1: So, I like to use a lot of the same techniques that you had mentioned. Um, I think that asking for students to work in small groups or with a partner is much less intimidating for the shy students. Um, And it also allows all of them to have their voices heard. Um, You know, when you are in that larger classroom setting, it's hard to really get to everybody to share. Um, I also really love to use the sticky notes as well. And during virtual instruction, we um, found something called Jamboard. So this has a sticky note feature and students can write down their thoughts on the sticky notes and share it on the Jamboard so everybody is part of that uh, collaboration process. And I do definitely think it is um, low risk. So students, even the students that are shy or might feel intimidated, uh, definitely were participating as well. And I I tailored this to my first graders by writing their names on the sticky notes for them already. And all they really had to do is just drag and drop it within the Jamboard to be able to express their opinions. So we practiced, it, practiced this at first by playing a game of would you rather the first week of school and they would just drag and drop their little sticky note over if they like cats better or dogs better. Um, so I really have found this to be a great tool and I've even brought it into my classroom now that we're in person and um, it allows students to all participate in the
0: classroom as well. That's so awesome. I'm glad you were able to do that same activity even through virtual distance learning. That's pretty neat. Um, Yeah. So this is the, the next idea about like, so giving students recognition and that specific feedback when they follow the rules and do the expected appropriate behavior. And I want to give that specific feedback from day one and praise the students especially for those modeling the classroom rules and you want them to follow. And if the students follow the rules and if they get no feedback or any recognition, then they're thinking, well, you know, darn, I, my, my teacher doesn't recognize all this effort I'm putting into to follow the rules. I'm, I'm being here a good student and they get nothing. It's crickets. So I try and use positive reinforcement and feedback and say something like, oh, I like how Miguel's sitting quietly or I like how Erica got her journal out and started working on today's prompt or I like how, oh, you know, Sammy's got the homework out. I'm like, yeah, I celebrate the little accomplishments like this, especially towards the beginning. And I try and be as specific as I can, say the student's name, uh, praise the behavior that they're doing. And it's worked out great and just really appreciate the small little successful moments. Have you maybe noticed a difference when praising students before a transition or at the start of class, kind of like being proactive Or anticipating when a behavior problem is going to happen, like, you know, maybe it's time to get ready for recess and right before recess, you're like, all right, I like how you know such and such is still working or slightly putting away their stuff.
1: Yeah. So I love positive praise for my students. Um, I use this all the time in my classroom. Uh, I think that it also really helps the rest of the class get on task too. So I think the students love to hear that they're doing a great job. And I think oftentimes... When we have children with those difficult behaviors, it does get kind of hard to recognize the good that is going on in the classroom, because I think sometimes it can definitely just take a mental toll. Um, but I notice a huge difference when I anticipate problem behavior before a transition um, and trying to get ahead of it by saying, you know, I'm looking for good listeners to give one of our daily dollars to Um you know, before we begin something new or before, as you said, you know, I know that a difficult period is coming up and a transition typically results in challenging behaviors. And I found that it's um, a great way to try to get ahead of the behavior um, by telling students what you're looking for. And most of the time, students really want to impress you and make you happy. So I think that works. And just uh, really highlighting those students that have been doing a great job on um, I definitely think it's so important um, and it's a great way to avoid problems in the classroom.
0: <laughs> they, uh, they want those daily dollars.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they do.
0: <laughs> so the last thing I would recommend in addition to how I said earlier with the peer buddies is also creating classroom jobs. Have one student be responsible for attendance, uh, two for homework. Uh, turning on and off the lights, stacking chairs, passing out materials. And this all ties back to the classroom community, like the whole theme of like we're all in this together. This is for us to learn. Um, and responsibility is the most important lesson the takeaway I can have for students, um, especially with classroom rules. And I want them to learn about consequences as well. So I guess with classroom rules, what's the most important takeaway for you?
1: Yeah, so I think that uh, showing students how to take ownership of their actions is the most important thing as far as the classroom goals go. Um, That is the end goal, in my opinion, for my students. Um, It doesn't matter if they're six, five, six, seven years old, it doesn't matter. I just want them um, to really take ownership and reflect on their behaviors um, and the actions that they're taking. Um, and I never want my classroom to feel like it's a dictatorship. I never want them to come into the classroom. And, you know, as you stated earlier, having all of these confusing long, along with of rules, I want them to be part of that process. And I want them to want to follow the rules in the classroom.
0: As We wrap this episode up, is there any advice you give maybe to new incoming teachers or those that are thinking entering the field, especially with all this like craziness that's going on?
1: Yeah, so I think that the biggest takeaway for me transitioning into the field of education is that you just really have to do what makes you happy. Um, And just to remember that even if some days feel like they are just really impossible, that you really are making a difference in these children's lives and they really do love you you and look forward to seeing you every day.
0: (laughs) All right. So I want to thank Samantha. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to join us. I want to thank the listeners and see you next time.
1: Thank you so much.